Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So Lynn, I want to take a step and go to like a meta place because we've gotten a lot of new listeners, a lot of new people signing up for our Facebook group. And there is a phrase that so many people use when I ask them, what are they hoping we'll talk about on the podcast? And the phrase is a variation 75% of the time. I want to learn how to support my anxious child. And I think that especially if you're newer or you know what even if you've been listening i think this is a great not test but what do they call those in like academic like your reading evaluation it's a summative assessment yes let's just make sure that everybody's on the same page welcome to fluster clucks with lynn lyons where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families serious stuff without being too serious i'm your co-host robin and i'm lynn's sister-in-law and i'm here to ask your questions and and I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Let's talk high level here. Okay. What does it mean to support an anxious child? All right. So the first thing it means is that you want to be empathic and connected and validating, but you don't want to do the disorder, right? So when I talk about this, you're either supporting your child or you're supporting the disorder. If you think about that way, what am I going to do to help my child develop the skills versus what am I going to do to support the disorder? I want to interject because you use language for the new people. The way I think a, a shortcut to understanding this is that anxiety you refer to as a cult leader and anxiety right. is a part of your child's brain that is very bossy and very demanding and mm -hmm. easily upset. So let's just think of this little critter sitting on your child's shoulder. Right. So doing the disorders, listening to that guy on the shoulder. Correct. And doing the patterns that anxiety wants you to do, doing the behaviors that anxiety wants you to do, all of which feel oftentimes intuitive, caring, loving, and they decrease symptoms in the short term, but they strengthen anxiety in the long term. So I've got, as we talk about this, there are three major things, three meta things that I want parents to know that will actually be supporting your child, supporting your family, and not supporting the anxiety. All right, you ready? Yes. Number one, I want parents to understand how this thing works in the very basic, the very predictable, and the very consistent physiological process that happens. Because what parents will get sucked up into, what parents will get trapped in, is addressing the physiological symptoms, addressing sometimes the behavioral symptoms, and trying to get rid of those, and really worrying a lot about, my child has a tummy ache, my child is throwing up before school, my child is having these temper tantrums, my child is doing this, my child has headaches. And what I hear a lot is people using the term panic attacks to describe their kids. So anytime a child feels anxiety, they're having a panic attack. Let me just explain how this thing works. If you have seen me speak, 
you've seen me do this. I do this all the time. But it's actually one of the things that people ask for the most. They say, do you have a recording of this? Do you have something that I can show my partner, that I can have my mother listen to, that I can have my teenager listen to? So here it is, people. I'm going to go through it. All right. You have a prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal cortex is in the front of your head. It's a big piece of your brain right behind your forehead. This is your higher level thinking. This is where worry lives. This is where you imagine. This is where you catastrophize. This is where you think about things that haven't happened yet. This is where you ruminate about things that have already happened. This is our higher level thinking. It's our executive functioning. It's how we invented things. So it's a really important part of human development. And in the course of human development, it's new. It is new and fancy. When you are worrying, when your child is anxious, when you are anxious, you are creating a movie, a narrative up there in your prefrontal cortex. It is not about what is happening. It's not that you're being attacked by a grizzly bear. It's not that you're um, about to fall off the cliff. It's what your prefrontal cortex creates as potential danger. And it's oftentimes not even real danger. Failing a test is not a life-threatening situation. But what happens is you worry, you create this scenario, you create this movie. Sometimes it's based on past experience. When you are creating this movie, you then send an uh-oh message, an oh-no message to your amygdala. Your amygdala is another part of your brain, small, primitive, size and shape of an almond. The amygdala is your smoke detector. When it comes to anxiety, your prefrontal cortex is the smoke maker, your amygdala is the smoke detector. When the amygdala gets an oh-no message, when it gets a danger message, it does not have the capacity to differentiate between real and imagined danger. So if you are worrying, if you are thinking about, oh no, what happens if I, what happens if this goes disastrously? Are there such things as vampires? What if somebody breaks into my bedroom? When you start thinking those things, the amygdala gets a message and the amygdala says, oh my gosh, my kid's in trouble. My kid's in trouble. I got to save him. I got to save her. Sends a message down to your adrenals, which then pump you full of noradrenaline and adrenaline, also known as norepinephrine and epinephrine. These chemicals are now going to signal your body to respond as if it is a life and death situation. So the amygdala will still get the message that you are very worried about your math test tomorrow, but the amygdala does not have the capacity of differentiating between a math test and being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Exactly. The amygdala doesn't say back to you, oh, for the love of Pete, you know what? Are we going to do this again? You've got a 97 in math. Why do I have to get all fired up? The amygdala doesn't do that. The amygdala is incredibly simple and loyal. The amygdala just says, I'll save you. I'll save you. <laughs> right? And it doesn't, it doesn't know how to differentiate differentiate. So it gets your body ready to save you from the tiger, from the bear. So all these things happen at once because we want blood and oxygen to the big muscles. So your heart starts to pound, your breathing gets quick. If you keep breathing in this way, <laughs> you hyperventilate, um, your pupils dilate. We throw a little extra blood clotting stuff into your system. So if the grizzly bear rips off your arm, then you'll clot faster. Um, I always joke, I say, if you're really nervous and you get a paper cut, it's going to clot really quickly. You're about to give a presentation at work and you get a paper cut, it won't bleed, right? So <laughs> the other thing that happens 
is that your body shuts down systems because your body is really trying to be efficient. It's focused on saving your life. So there are systems in your body that are not necessary for that in the moment. The big one that people experience is your digestive system. Your digestive system shuts down. So instead of you digesting your bagel that you had for breakfast, the process stops. And when the process stops, that gives you a tummy ache, right? When I say to kids, when, when things aren't moving from hole to hole, and you can use that expression because kids really like it. When things aren't moving from hole to hole, your tummy doesn't feel good. Your digits, your fingertips, your toes, these are non-essential systems. The blood gets pulled from your toes and from your fingertips, so they might feel numb. People feel coldness in their hands and toes when they're nervous, sometimes in their face as well. So all of this stuff happens at once. It is so, so helpful if you are supporting your anxious child, it is really, really helpful for you and them to know how this thing works to know that these are the symptoms you're going to feel, these are the responses that you're going to feel. And it is also really, really helpful once you know how this primitive system gets hijacked by your worry to talk to your kids about the fact that one of the things we're going to do to support you and not to support your anxiety is we have to retrain the amygdala. The poor little amygdala learns through experience. So if you tell the amygdala that spiders are dangerous, even though you don't live in an environment where there are dangerous spiders, if you live in Australia, have at it. But if you live in New Hampshire, the spiders aren't dangerous. If you live in a place where there aren't earthquakes, but you've told the amygdala over and over and over again that an earthquake is going to happen, the amygdala listens. The amygdala stores that information. The goal is to understand this very primitive but very effective process that if you need it, you need it. But how are we going to retrain the amygdala? The way we retrain the amygdala is to step into situations, let the amygdala hang out so that you can get new data. This is why avoidance this is why you catastrophizing parents, this is why you trying to rearrange the world is only supporting the anxiety. We want to support our children by giving them this information so they know what the plan is and so everybody doesn't freak out about the physical symptoms. Freaking out about the physical symptoms is how people develop panic disorder. If you can educate yourself and educate your kids so they understand this thing, it absolutely takes away its power. So that's the number one way I want you to support your anxious child. I have a couple of comments. There's a video in our Managing Your Child's Anxiety course where there's a section specifically where you walk through this with mm -hmm. children as your intended audience. Mm -hmm. And then to recap, there's also another episode that we've done about the physical symptoms of anxiety. And what I'm hearing from you is you have to understand how it works on a physiological level so that the cognitive behavioral approach that you're going to talk about next, they go hand in hand. This is the important groundwork that you need to lay because this demystifies so we're, we're working on demystifying. So this is a really important first piece. Let's go to the second piece when we come back. Okay.
If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touch screen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, 
and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. Okay. So this will not surprise you, any of you who've been listening, new people, it probably won't surprise you either. A lot of this stuff is really, once people hear it, they're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why am I not hearing that? But anyway, the next way that you really want to support your anxious child is that you have to recognize, you have to acknowledge, you have to accept people. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. Anxiety doesn't happen in a vacuum. When people say to me, oh, it just showed up. No, it didn't, right? We are social creatures. And the line I always use when we're talking, when I'm talking to parents, that this is a combination of nature and nurture. And you are very, very prominent in both of those scenarios, parents, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, think, I think you say, if it's nature, it's you. If it's nurture, it's you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's exactly what I say. Yeah. So so this is the way that you can support your anxious child. You know, everybody uses this cliche, you know, put on your own mask first, right? It really is. You got to look at your own patterns. You got to own your own stuff. You've got to see how are you doing things in your own life, maybe even not related to your parenting but I bet it is, finds its way into your parenting, of course, are you doing those patterns that support anxiety? So are you really rigid? Do you express a lot of fear? One of the things we know is that anxious parents express a lot of their fears in front of their children. Even if it's not directly about something with their children, they'll say, oh, I'm so afraid to get on an airplane or, oh gosh, I'm so terrified that I have to go and do this thing. Pay attention to the language that you use. Ask your partner to count the times together. Each of you use the word safe. Oh yeah, I know. I hear safe a lot. It's so funny. I was just on a, you know, I was, I was traveling a lot recently and it's so funny when I say goodbye to people at schools, like they've just listened to me <laughs> sometimes for hours and hours and hours. They listen to me and then I leave and they go, oh, thanks for coming. Safe travels. And I think, oh gosh, did they not hear anything that I said? Yeah. Safe travels. I'm like, I'm not flying the plane. That word safe. Yeah. Hmm. As I work in travel, yeah. that expression is said a lot. What yeah. is a good alternative? Because bon voyage just doesn't feel very current. <laughs> what well, maybe you should just try and bring it back, right? <laughs> bon, bon voyage. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I I think I say to people, I hope your travel goes smoothly. Smooth travels. Smooth travels. It doesn't quite roll off the smooth tongue. Travels but travels smooth travels from hole to hole. Yeah. <laughs> may your may your life move smoothly from hole to hole. <laughs> That's an old Irish proverb, actually. May your life move smoothly from hole to hole. Yeah, you just, you know, just I hope I hope you have a great time. 
Right. I mean, that's the other thing too, is that we say safe, like the word safe, like if you're going in for an appendicitis, we might say like, you know, safe surgery. But if you're going on a vacation, is that the criteria is that your, your vacation has to be safe, right? Enjoy yourself, fun travels, much better than that word safe. Okay. So we digress. Pay attention to your patterns. Pay attention to, to what you're doing. And as we were talking about this, Robin, I think you brought up a really good point, which is that a lot of times your patterns, which you don't really see as super anxious patterns, like you're just saying, you know, okay, be safe. Or what else does an anxious parent say? Like, you know, make sure that you do this or do that or your rigidity. Like we have to have everything has to go as planned. You can do these patterns and they're not impacting you in a way that's really overtly anxious but they can get really amplified in your kids. I'm going to digress because we yeah. just did an episode on these seemingly harmless comments that parents often use that in fact, they're se- they're sending a message that isn't the healthiest. Yes. And why? They're sending messages that aren't promoting resilience and problem solving and all of these other skills right, right. non-anxious children have. And non-anxious adults have. Yes. And I actually, after doing that episode, there were two more that I thought of that actually are pretty appropriate for right now. One is when people say better safe than sorry. Ooh. Right? Like as if those are your two choices, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) I either have to be safe or sorry, right? I mean, it's just funny. Um, And then the other one, which is really, I, I can't believe that we didn't talk about this one. And I don't think we did. If we did, then I really have to pay attention to my memory. But um, do as I do as I say, not as I do. Right? We didn't include that one, did we? Um, I feel like we might have included a variation on that. Okay, that sounds kind of familiar. Okay. Um. So so this is that's in the in the in the realm of modeling at this point. Right. So and of course, when I'm talking about the the way you can support your anxious child is to own your own stuff. Of course, you hear me say this all the time. That means that you need to look at your own patterns, that the parents need to be on the same page. So parents need to really educate themselves and understand how this thing works because having a conflict between the parents in terms of one person pushing really hard and the other person helping to avoid, that's mixed message parenting. You cannot support your child if you are giving them consistently mixed messages about their anxiety. Lynn, can I ask you, though, when parents might resist looking inward or thinking that they're a part of this problem, if they don't, how realistic is it that there's going to be positive change for the child? with anxiety. This is your whole thing. It's a family problem. It's a family solution. Yes. When a family is resistant, when I'm working on something, and this is sort of we talked about in that episode where where one parent says like, well, I don't believe in anxiety, right? If, if you don't look at your own patterns, well, let me say this. Sometimes it's, I mean, I have to convince people that it's okay to look at their patterns because people, sometimes they feel blamed or they feel responsible and they, they don't want to take it on their own, but it really is just so important to just be able to say, this is how human beings work. This is how families work. I was just talking to a, a guy at the gym this morning who is in recovery and he ta- we, were, we were talking about this family pattern stuff and how he really had to 
he really had to address his own family's patterns. He really had to look at his father's patterns and the way that he was raised around alcohol and substances. It's just the way it works. And so, you know, this is why I don't see kids alone in my practice, everyone. I don't see kids alone. You have to sort of muddle through some of the shame and you have to kind of, you know, it feels uncomfortable, but it is so, so helpful when a family looks at it together. The other thing too, that is remarkably helpful, particularly if you've got kids that are tweens and teens, is that when a parent starts owning their own stuff in front of their child, you can just see doors opening up in terms of their connection, in terms of their communication, because then the child isn't feeling blamed. Like, what's wrong with my kid? And we have to fix this problem that this kid has. Yes. It just changes the dynamic. That's what I was about to say. When, when anyone learns about their own patterns, they take ownership if they know it, and they can just factually say, eventually, without shame or embarrassment, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. It is a game changer when you continue saying that kind of stuff. Oh, here I am catastrophizing, Mm -hmm. right? Because then ultimately what you're modeling is no longer your pattern. You're modeling the awareness of the pattern and the ability to distance and pivot a different response from Mm -hmm. the pattern. And you can't model the solution unless you go there yourself. Right. And I was just talking to somebody who's been reading the anxiety audit, shameless plug, but it's all about patterns. And she said that one of the things that's really cool is that as her family is reading it, they're all recognizing it. So when they're using that language, when they are catastrophizing or they're going global, they go like, oh gosh, I think I'm going global right now. And it just puts it out there as, okay, so now we're going to pay attention to this and now we're going to try and shift it. If you don't know what the patterns are, and if you resist looking at it, Your kids aren't going to be able to figure out on their own until maybe they're grown and they go into therapy by themselves and they're like, yeah, God, my mom was a catastrophizer. You're really just getting so far ahead of it when you start talking about it in that way with your family. Absolutely. Why wait for your child to figure it out in therapy as an adult if that's the path they take versus all of you working on this together, which will Mm -hmm. only enrich emotional management, emotional literacy, and love and connection. That's right. And these patterns, it's not that these patterns just show up in people that are paralyzed by anxiety. We all have these patterns. We all go global. We all can catastrophize. Everybody has the capacity to worry or to get stuck in something. So you don't even have to put it in that pathological way of like, oh, this is what my family does wrong. It's really just saying, yeah, this is what my family does, and this is how we're going to work on fixing it. So if, you know, to go back to sort of what our theme is today, how do you support your anxious child? You learn about these patterns, you own your own stuff, and you talk about them with your family in a way that doesn't make them pathological. It's not a crisis. It's just, this is what we're working on. There might be listeners who still are like, I don't want to make this about me. I want to make this about my kid. I'm here to help my kid. Okay, Lynn, one more time for the cheap seats in the back. (laughs) (laughs) You can't help your kid if you don't understand what you're doing. And if it's nature, it's you. If it's nurture, it's you. That's just the way it is. So the more you make it about your kid, the more you say, my child has this problem, the more disconnected you will be from so many wonderful ways that you can support your kid, right? It really is just saying, this is what happens in our family. 
and it's okay and it happens in a lot of families and let's figure this out, right? I mean, it would be the same if we were talking about, if we were having a conversation about how do we help our child not develop an alcohol problem because we have so much alcoholism in our family. You don't say like, well, this is about my kid. You say, no, let's look at the patterns that happen in a family that lead to people choosing substances or getting involved in addictive behavior. It really is okay to just look at it in that way. And I know that it's hard to do that. I get that, but it's just enormously helpful. Once you get over that original hump, then I think it gets pretty easy. But I think what you're also saying, not easy, but you know, the shame goes away, all I can say. Because what I finally understood is that you take six houses on, on a street in a neighborhood, everybody has these patterns everybody has these patterns. Mm -hmm. Don't be ashamed of the patterns. If you take ownership of these patterns, what do you do with that information? How do you as a family start articulating your emotions and mental health differently Mm -hmm. than than the people who don't want to go there? Yeah, it's, you know, you know how I call anxiety the cult leader, right? So if there's these people and they're in the cult and they're listening to the cult leader and then you say like, hey, you know, I'm concerned that the cult leader is having you do these weird things and I don't know if this is healthy. And they're like, we're not in a cult. Well, that's not very helpful. But then if the family's like, hey, I think we might be in a cult. Yeah. Okay. So, so can, can we get out of the cult? What are we going to do to get out of the cult? That's the mentality you want to have is that you don't want to be an unwitting victim of these patterns that just sort of take over. You tend to then sort of justify the patterns or you live within the patterns without really recognizing that you can step outside of them. That's really what what I want people to do. And then it's not about shame and embarrassment. It's like, yeah, like you say, everybody does these patterns. How do we step out of them? How do we show our kids how to interrupt the patterns that don't work? When we come back, let's talk about kids and their specific worries. (laughs) 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 Oh, our regular listeners know why. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt 
free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Okay, we're back. Here's going to be the unpopular part of this episode. And I'm going to raise this because, again, this is a common theme I see when people are reaching out and joining our Facebook group. Mm -hmm. I read them. So just everyone know we read these. Yep, we do. Everyone says, do you have a specific episode on throwing up? Do you have a specific episode on thunderstorms, on spiders, on school alarms? So people ask about, do you have specific episodes on the following content? Yeah. I even just got an email from a parent this past week where this parent was really struggling with their daughter. And the parent said that he just didn't have the patience to listen to the podcast because it wasn't addressing his specific issues. So I emailed him back. I read all the emails that people send. So I don't respond to every email because I get a gazillion of them, but I read everybody's email. So I did respond to him back. His specific issue issue was no different than everybody else's specific issue. He just felt like he needed advice or information that was going to exactly fit the story of his family. And that's where people get stuck. Because they're getting stuck in what the worry or what the anxiety is attached to. And that's what you call content. Right. So when you talk about content versus process, let's Mm -hmm. say it a different way. This is a child who starts really freaking out about thunderstorms Mm -hmm. or throwing up Mm -hmm. or a teenager who doesn't want to go to school, starts having really big anxiety around tests Mm -hmm. or a six-year-old saying, oh my gosh, mommy or daddy could die one day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of these things are content. Right. That's all the stuff that the worry grabs onto because remember, overall, worry is about uncertainty and worry is about feeling like you can't handle something. And what if this happens? And what if I get overwhelmed by this? And how would I manage these big, scary feelings that I'm having, these big, scary thoughts that I'm having? And this is really the hardest thing for people. And I know that I say it over and over and over again, but like you say, based on the requests of people wanting to join the Facebook group or based on the emails I get, If you want to support your anxious child, you've got to recognize that the bigger patterns are what you're going after. The process of how this worry works is what I'm talking about. If you say, well, I need specific strategies or I need specific techniques to deal with a kid who's worried about spiders or a kid who's worried about people or a kid, you know, my child is really worried about death. What do I do about that? And the biggest thing, the, the, the most frequent thing that people say to me is like, well, wait, well, I asked my child what she was worried about and she doesn't know. So how can I help? How can I support her when we don't know what she's worried about? As if that's the answer. That's not the answer. If you are looking at how worry works, you think it's the answer. If your child tells you, I'm worried about 
green beans. And then you're like, oh, okay. So the solution is that now I have to get rid of green beans or I'm worried about thunder. So the solution is that we have to make sure that whenever there's a chance of thunderstorms that we don't go outside or she's worried about going to school. So I have to go into the school and we have to put all of these accommodations in place so that nothing ever takes her by surprise. Those are all what I call content-based interventions. That's addressing the content. It's not addressing how worry works. It's not addressing the child's patterns. Not addressing the child's patterns, not addressing your patterns. You know, I mean, basically what we're seeing when that happens is that the parent is saying, my child is really anxious about green beans. And so I'm going to get really anxious about the fact that my child is anxious and I'm going to do everything I can to take this away. That's what you call the elimination culture. That's right. I'm going to do what I can to take these stresses away or to take these triggers away because that will make the problem better. And what we know is that actually makes the problem worse. So if you want to support your anxious child, get out of the content, which means do not rearrange their world in order to eliminate their distress. It doesn't mean that you have to Uh, you know, I say this all the time, we're not going to shove them into the deep end without teaching them how to swim. But the goal is for you to be able to talk about how worry works. So I started off this podcast going through the process of the way that the brain, the different parts of the brain work together with the body to create these symptoms. So that's something that's really helpful for your kids to know. It's really helpful for your kids to know about these patterns called globalizing and catastrophizing, imagining the worst, worrying, going over something over and over again. If you are stuck in the content with your child, one of the ways that you're trying to support them, which will backfire, is that you're doing a lot of reassurance. You're saying, it's okay, there's no such thing as vampires, we've put locks on the door, we'll check to make sure that nobody comes into the house, let's study weather so we can see how thunder works and how clouds work. If all of that stuff was effective, great, right? If if a child was really afraid of monsters and you said to them, hey, there's no such thing as monsters, and they were like, woohoo, I'd be all for it. But what we have to recognize is that the worry doesn't give up with just one single reassurance. It's a constant thing that you do. You're constantly saying to the worry, what do you need in order to feel certain and comfortable? And let me see if I can create that in my family, create that in my world. And the, and the worry, the anxiety says, woohoo, you're the best. Thank you for helping me control this family. Right. The anxiety patterns will find other content to attach to. That's right. And so if I'm talking about a situation, if I'm talking about an example of something that a child or a teenager or an adult is worried about, the goal is for the people listening to me talking about that example to recognize I'm just using that as an example of a pattern. I need some grist for the mill right? I need some examples. So I'm picking an example. I'm picking some content, whatever it might be. So I can use that content as an example of how are we going to step into this instead of eliminate it or avoid it. I mean, I've had kids that say like, well, I don't know what I'm worried about. I go, well, let's just pretend that you're worried about turning into a leprechaun. Or let's just pretend you're oddly afraid of uh, baby ducklings, right? And they'll laugh. Ha ha ha. Who's afraid of baby ducklings? I go, probably somebody somewhere, but let's talk about that content 
Let's pretend that's what you're worried about. So then we can begin to figure out how your worry shows up and how it grabs hold. If you want to support your anxious child, stay out of the content. I mean, the content is going to be there, but don't rearrange the content. Don't discuss the content. Don't try and reassure about the content. Don't try and eliminate the content. Talk about how worry shows up. That's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Let's talk about all the resources that we have. If you're relatively new to the podcast, I was thinking of a couple of different things. Mm -hmm. The most obvious is the summer series we did on the seven puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, those seven puzzle pieces, these are shorter episodes based on the seven puzzle pieces that you talk about in the book, Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents. Right. That goes into your whole process of what you're treatment looks like with your clients, the externalization of anxiety, giving it a name. How Mm -hmm. do you talk about it? Mm -hmm. I'd also like to reference a few other episodes that we've done once you've listened to that. Mm -hmm. The anxiety vaccine. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to prevent anxiety? What does a family do to prevent anxiety? It's a two-part episode. We've gotten a lot of feedback that this was a game changer for people. The treatment of anxiety disorders is actually the same thing as the prevention of anxiety disorders. Yep. Yep. Same skills. If you are anxious and you want to prevent this from being passed down to your children, these are the very same skills that I'm going to teach you. Very same skills. And then at the beginning of, I believe it was season three, but we will have all of these in the show notes. We actually lead with the primary skills you've identified that anxious families and anxious kids usually need a boost developing. Mm -hmm. So we have one episode devoted to problem solving, another one devoted to flexibility, and another one devoted to autonomy. Mm -hmm. So those are key because that's a key part of your treatment as well. If Mm -hmm. you listen to all of those, and maybe even a couple of them twice, I really think most people will feel like I'm firmly planted now in something in a new direction. Mm -hmm. And I think the rest of the episodes will make a lot of sense. Thank you for so clearly cataloging them. I think one of the messages I want families to have is right now, there's so much talk about the mental health crisis and, you know, our kids are more anxious than ever. And what are we going to do? And there aren't enough clinicians and people are contacting me all the time saying we need somebody to help. There is an awful lot that you can do yourself. And So the self-help genre of books gets denigrated. I remember listening to this. I love Terry Gross on Fresh Air, but I was listening to this episode once and man, she sounded so awful talking about the things that people do to try to help themselves. I thought, oh, Terry. So the books that I've written and the books that a lot of my friends have written, my colleagues have written, that's the goal is to equip you with some of the things that you need in order to make these changes. Right now, it is hard to find people. It is hard to figure out where you go to get help for your kids, there's a lot that you can do on your own. That's why I work so hard on putting out all this information that, you know, we've got this podcast, I write books, I do tons of talks and presentations because I actually cannot see an iota of the people who contact me for therapy. I wish I could, but I can't. There aren't enough hours in the day. So I really want to just give parents a little bit of a pep talk that there really are things that you can do. Truly, truly, truly. If you need professional help, if you feel like you're really stuck, if you've worked on this stuff or you're feeling like 
your child isn't hearing you and you need an outside voice to come in and sort of support what you're trying to do, absolutely see what you can find. There's also an episode that we talk about, how do you find a good therapist for your anxious child? So we'll put that in the show notes too, because there are questions you want to ask and there are things that are really important for you to know. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot that you can do. And man, oh man, can we just start talking about prevention because that's really where it's at at this point. We got to get ahead of this thing. And I talk, all the stuff that I talk about is preventative. It's all designed to be preventative. So I'm just going to ask all you listeners a little favor. If you've gotten the anxiety audit and you've read it, go on to Amazon and leave a review for me. Those five-star reviews really help. You don't even have to put any words. You can if you want. You can write some words. But just if, if you've read the book and if you like it, please help me spread the word. Please support the book by going in and giving it a little review on Amazon because that does help. From hole to hole, this was a smooth read. Yes, you can write that. You can write, I felt like this made me feel good from hole to hole. <laughs> like the information went in one hole and out the other. <laughs> if this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.